0: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for following Jesus. Today is episode 215, and if we haven't met yet, my name is Tony. I'm your host with over a decade in the local church. I just want to help you connect with Jesus in any way, shape, or form. And I do that using this audio platform that I I really and truly hope enriches your relationship with the Lord. Today, special guest, repeat offender, Kristen Lavallee. Kristen uh, and I met about a year ago. She was on episode 102 of the podcast. She's got an incredible voice for the church. I love following her on Instagram. She's got deep uh, theological thoughts about what it means to follow Jesus. She's got a great perspective. The last time we talked, you'll hear me talk about this in the interview, she was in an RV. Uh, and just found out she was going to have twins. We're way past that now. And today we talk about her latest resource, um, for Advent, for Advent. And so we talk about what Advent is, why it matters, all that jazz in the podcast today. I really hope you enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss some of our future episodes. Also, if you could share this episode with a friend, Maybe somebody who you know uh, needs to be a little bit more intentional this Christmas season. That would be my hope and prayer. Now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Kristen LaVallee. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have someone who you may have heard once before, episode 102, now we're like in the 200s, Kristen LaVallee. Kristen, thank you so much for being back on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You know, you're the last podcast I've done, the last podcast interview before everything went Crazy, we went into crisis pregnancy. You're the last one, and now you're the first one that I'm doing as I'm getting back into doing podcast interviews. I just realized that today. I was like, oh, this is great because I love doing that podcast. It's one of my favorite chats that I've done. So, this is it's Kismet.
0: Well, I'll tell you that it's uh, I I went back and I listened to it today. And when we we last left, you were getting ready to have twins sell your RV. We we recorded that in your RV. And you can hear me uh, yelling
1: at my kids at one point.
0: Right, it's one of my favorite parts of the episode. <laughs> uh, could you could you kind of catch everybody up? To, uh, you know, kind of sure. where you are in your life now. Yeah.
1: In a really short version of everything that's happened in the last what was that? 18 months ago, I guess. Last time we chatted. Yeah, so, probably, A couple yeah. weeks after we recorded the episode, I found out that um, our girls were uh, they they weren't doing well in me to put it simply. Lots of medical. Terminology there, but um, one of the babies was not getting all the nutrients that she needed, and they recommended that we terminate her to save the other baby. We said, No way, Jose, we're not gonna do that. So, long story short, it's a roller coaster of your babies are gonna die, your babies are gonna be okay. And then I was hospitalized um, to keep a closer eye on them and to keep a closer eye on me because I developed. Um, Something that happens in pregnancy called gestational hypertension, which can lead to a condition called preeclampsia, which causes seizures and strokes and is very dangerous for the mom. I haven't talked about that a lot online because I tend to focus on what was going on with the girls, but my life was very much in danger at the end as well. So It was this mitigating the balance between letting the girls stay inside me as long as possible so they can continue to grow as long as possible, but then also mitigating the risk for me because the longer I stayed pregnant, the more risk it was that I would end up in, in crisis. So we ended up, um, having them because the preeclampsia came on very quickly. We had them at 29 weeks and they were in the NICU for seven and eight weeks. They came home. We were, um, actually, The day that they were born was our first day out of the RV. So we were in the RV that whole time. The day they were born, we had just moved into an apartment. And then we ended up having to move into another apartment. Whole story. But then we bought a house after they had been home for two months. We bought a house in the middle of the crazy house crisis that's been going and we were one of the last people to get those mortgage rates at three percent so we really got a sure. the nick of time it was such, such <laughs> the lord's favor the last good blessing that he he was like you know what you got your girls i'm gonna make sure you get your house at three <laughs> percent which we we're really thankful for um so we bought a house and the last year i have been writing a book and just kind of figuring out life as a mom of five and we've started going to some house churches and starting to kind of pursue the Holy Spirit's leading in that, like maybe we're going to start a house church. We're kind of just in this, like, all right, our lives are settled. Our hearts are settled. We've healed from everything we've been through and we're continuing to heal from all of that. What's next? I don't know. That's very short, but that is a lot packed in there.
0: Alyssa is <laughs> <laughs> great. It was great. And and people can go back and listen to episode 102 if they want to catch up on the on some of your story pre RV because we talk about that. And yep. and um the the title of the episode was Critically Thinking Christians and um and I know that's a big part of your heart. And also lately and the work that you've been doing, it's been a lot about how to deal with trauma and grief and some of the things that happen when we have to deal with other humans, Mm -hmm. you know, and they happen to all of us in different ways. And so uh, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is, is how would you describe the calling that God has placed on your life? Because you've done so many things um, and it kind of feels like seasons shift from here and there, but kind of, how would you describe your overarching call?
1: I think I, I view my calling as staying the same, even though the circumstances, change and maybe it looks different to other people, but I've always felt like God has called me to what in Bible school, we would call it unreached people groups. If you're learning about missions and stuff, they would say, we got to reach the unreached people groups. And so it's looked different in different parts of my life. Um, In the last like five years, it's been pretty consistently people that are carrying really heavy things that the church doesn't have answers to, or doesn't have um, comfort, It doesn't offer comfort. To The things that people tend to offer Christian platitudes and you just got to have faith and but God is good. And we try to tie things up with pretty bows when people are sitting with things that are conflicting and that the Bible doesn't Mm -hmm. offer very clear instructions on how to deal with these things. Sometimes that's been people who have gone through um, loss or people who have gone through something traumatic or some people who have gone through really painful church traumas and spiritual wounds that they just just leaves them leaves their faith shattered and they don't know who to turn to because the church is saying the answers are simple and they're saying that doesn't work is there any other space for me if those answers don't work can I still love Jesus can I still follow Jesus if I don't if those <coughs> answers aren't the answers that I need right now so that's kind of like it's this very fragile space so if I was going to say it simply would say I my ministry is to people who are fragile and are going through fragile and going through fra- fragile things and are feeling very vulnerable. And it's just a very human, <laughs> you need a hug and a cup of tea and a book and for somebody to say, your pain is valid and I see you and I'm not going to try to fix you right now, but I'm here.
0: And I think one of the important things that I see and and when I see you talk about it online is that fragile is not bad, Right. Right. Yeah. Fragile does not necessarily mean broken, or, or, or may, maybe. How would you describe fragile? If to someone who's maybe doesn't have a, a thought process on what this looks like.
1: I think it fragile can be different for each person going through something. I tend to think of it as people who are very tender and their emotions are easily accessible with just like a
0: little poke. <laughs> that's a great that's a a great answer i uh do do you find yourself identifying in that way
1: oh yeah which i wouldn't have ever in the last like you know pre five years ago which is when all of our really difficult things started (laughs) happening we had like a series (laughs) of events um I kind of prided myself in not being emotional. Like I'm not like the other girls. I don't let people see how I feel. I keep it all bottled up inside. Like I thought that was a badge of honor and that if I showed my emotions, I was being too feminine. And I think part of that is like being a ministry in the church and wanting to downplay the the womanly parts of me so I would be more respected and, and given more responsibility. And as I've had these difficult things happen, I've seen how beautiful being fragile is. When it comes to your relationship with Jesus and how close you you can be to him and how much he draws close to us when we allow ourselves to feel the things that we're feeling and and we allow ourselves to be honest and open not just with him but with each other and the community that comes from that and the friendship and the bonds that are formed and the way that we care for each other when we are fragile i'm like yeah i'm fragile all the time. And I think it's a strength. I don't think it's it's um, something that prevents us from reaching Jesus or from reaching each other. I don't think it's a liability. I think it's just something that's human, and we don't have to bypass our humanity to get to Jesus.
0: Well, I, I think it's interesting as I, I'm processing this in kind of real time that um, God on earth who gives himself up for death feels really fragile to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely,
0: and so that's a that's a beautiful reflection, I think it, you know, you you were very public with all the stuff that was happening with your your twins and just your your house and kind of just where you were with all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you had an experience with Carlos Whitaker and kind of all you know, just yeah. there was a lot like there was a, there was a really solid couple of weeks where my wife and I were pr- just praying for your family be and you know, like it's just. Uh, there was a lot. What What did you learn about the internet community and God during that season? Because it feels oh, like a, a lot of emotions.
1: It was. <clears throat> and it's so funny how when you look back, you see how God's hand was kind of like moving in your life before you realized it. And I I just made this connection the other day that before everything happened, it was might have been like maybe a week or two before we found out that the girls were not doing well. Zach had texted me this. Zach is my husband, for anybody who doesn't know my husband's name. He had texted me and said, I feel like the Lord is telling us that in the next couple of months, we're really going to need to lean into our community and to just let them, or he he said, we, we just need to be okay with receiving. And that's something that we've mm. never been okay with because it's always come with baggage and we just have never really had good experiences with receiving from people. We're more like, no, we'll be the people that give, give, give. And he's like, I feel like... God is telling us that we're entering a season where we need to receive from people. And I was like, okay. And that same thought was kind of repeated throughout that whole process no guilt, like, don't be, don't feel bad, don't feel like you owe people anything. This is what the family of God is about. And if the family of God steps up and wants to care for somebody who's hurting and needs care, who am I to say, no, you can't care for me? I have this, I don't have this, and I don't have the energy. To fight you on it. So I'm just going to lean into it. So the way that the, the church just kind of like in the global church, I mean, these are people from all over the world, people that are connected friends of friends. Not only did they, Carlos set up, um, he just posted my Venmo on his story and people went crazy with it. And the money that came in was enough that it protected our savings account so we could buy a house. And we Mm. basically lived off of the Venmo money that they gave us, never touching our savings account. But neither Zach or I were able to work because I was in the hospital three times a week and we were going back and forth from New York. So the church sustained us financially and they sustained us uh, spiritually. We weren't able to pray. We couldn't even, like, form words to pray. Our prayers were groans and... Tears, and I—I I think I probably barely prayed more than just please. That was—that was the prayer of my soul. So the church surrounded us with prayer. They surrounded us with meals. They helped us find a house. They watched our kids. I mean, it was just this—like, hmm. I don't even remember half of it. Sometimes my kids will tell—tell tell me something like, "Yeah, remember when you were in the hospital and we went with so and so?" I'm like, I don't remember any of that because trauma kind of like blocks things out. So I'm still finding out now. It's been a year and a half since they were born, how much the church really did surround us, not expecting anything else. So I don't, I don't know if I could like list all of the things that I learned about God and like, I learned that God is like like this or like this, but I can tell you that I felt God super close through the family of God. And I felt loved and held in a way that I didn't really know was accessible to me because I'm just like little, little Kristen, like, who am I to receive all of this? And I I learned to receive and to be thankful and to not feel like, okay, well, because I received this blessing now, I, oh, and I have to give, 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 give. There will be a time where we're in a season of giving again, but up until recently, it's been, we just need to receive and let the family of God take care of us in the way that they're called to take care of us, to take care of each other.
0: Yeah, there's there's interesting kind of like church culture about uh, receiving versus giving, about how hard it is to receive, and yet yeah. I'm always thinking about John 13 and Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Mm. And I, I've yeah. I've been to a couple of places where that where where they do that, and uh, the church I'm at now does that once a quarter. And uh, it's a super, it's much harder to let someone wash my feet than it is for me to wash yeah. someone else's feet. How, how do you, how'd you talk to your kids, your older kids through all of that and, and kind of your forming and as you form their faith?
1: I, that's one of those things that I don't really remember how we talked to them about it because we kind of were trying to protect them from what was actually happening. They never really knew that the girls' lives were in danger. We would always just say, it's really hard to bring two babies into the world, so we're getting a lot of help right now because we didn't wanna scare them and make them Mm. worry until we knew what was gonna happen. Um, So our conversations with them were more like, we just need to pray that everything's gonna be okay and these people are helping us bring the babies into the world. We had friends that basically parented them for the three or four months that it was that we were in this crisis, I mean, I. I don't even know. They had four kids of their own and took our three kids and were their literally their mom and dad while we were trying to figure all of this out. And wow. our kids understood that that's, that's what family does. And people that weren't really in our lives before became like family to us. And I don't know that we've um, made a lesson out of it with them, except that they've just learning by receiving and experiencing this. I think they've, they've just learned that this is what the family of God does for each other.
0: So in this last year, you've really uh, gotten back to more of your your work as a writer and that process. Uh, how does it feel to be back working? You've got the twins, you've got... Mm-hmm. all the kids you got a house you got yeah how's how's your soul how's your soul in the midst of all this I'm a
1: real grown-up now <laughs> 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 it's been great It's been, writing has always been something that's cathartic for me and it's something that's uh, that I'm good at and that helps me feel like myself so there's been I mean I've written so much stuff this year not with writing a book but just like I've written more this year than I have ever I think and it's it's been like reconnecting with a part of my um, my spiritual life that I was disconnected from for a while. Even during 2020, everything I, I was writing was like kind of frantic because everyone was frantic. And I'm like, okay, I need to use my, my gifts to like help people calm down and center and think critically. And then now it's getting back more into this kind of spiritual formation thing that I am um, gifted at. So it feels... Good. It feels right, and it's um, a mix of catharsis for me and um, gifts for everybody else. You get to be blessed by all of the words that flow from my hands.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And and we are we are. It's so good. Love it. On on the gram, I saw that you went on a writing retreat with a group of ladies, uh, theologians who I respect and, yeah. and follow myself, and one, one of which was Anne Voskamp, who's you know, a, basically a writing legend. Yes. Uh, tell, tell us about that experience. What was that like, and, and how important was that for you?
1: It was like well I wasn't expecting it even though um, Felicia Masonheimer is the one who organized the retreat and she's friends with Anne and even though she told us oh we're going to go to this bookstore Anne's doing just happens to be doing a book signing and speaking tonight so we're going to go meet her it didn't really register in my head that meeting Ann Boskin. <laughs> like what so we got into the bookstore and she's just as like you know she writes very. Flowery and poetically, and she just kind of is like this is whenever I describe Anne camp, I do this because she's just so flowy in her work. She's exactly like that in person. She is such a beautiful person. She's so emotive and kind. And we talked in the bookstore for a couple minutes, and um, somebody decided to embarrass me and say, I just got a book deal. And she was like, Oh, I'm so excited for you. And she took my hand in both of her hands, and I'm like, <coughs> We red like, oh my God, please don't pay attention to me. I just want to, like, fall into these bookshelves right now. But then later that night, she spoke. There was a C.S. Lewis festival happening. This was in Petoskey, Michigan, where they do this C.S. Lewis festival every year. And she was speaking. And then afterwards, she came up to me, and she's like, make sure you tell me about your deal with Tyndale. I want to hear all, all about it. So she remembered this random fangirl that she met in a bookstore she remembered this little detail of my life and I was like you know what it's really refreshing to meet someone who's at her level of skill and at her level of celebrity that is actually really personable and kind relational and everything that she is in her books she actually I mean obviously I don't know her but meeting her those few minutes I was like man this is like I want to be like this I want people to feel good when they meet me
0: Talk to me a little bit about the community of writers that you were with. Uh, It looked like a lot of fun, right? Like it's, uh, I I followed Felicia for years, but then, you know, a lot of the other writers there I didn't know. So I was kind of Instagram snooping around because I'm always looking for good theological voices. I just think it's important to have a diverse diet of that. Mm -hmm. So what was it like to get together and and do that? Did you guys just get together and write individually, collectively, or how did that work?
1: Well, I didn't know any of them either, except for Felicia and one other girl I kind of knew sort of, but I felt like the odd one out because I thought that they all knew each other. And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I'm such an introvert. I get so weird with stuff like that. So I was really nervous about it. Um, But it was really good. We kind of just encouraged each other, talked about different ideas and kind of like agitated each other's brains with the different projects Mm. that we were working on and um, prayed for each other. We had one morning where we just prayed and if anyone felt like the Lord was saying anything, we spoke it to each other and everyone cried, of course, get a bunch of women together we're going to cry and it's going to be great. Um, But we had one day where we sat and wrote and I just was like, you guys are all writing fun things and I'm writing about suffering. Like, I'm just going to go get in the kayak. (laughs) I'm not not doing this. I can't get into a place where I can write about this stuff right now. But it was great. I felt so encouraged and excited and way more confident about what I'm doing than I did before because I had these women like hyping me up, which I think is really important for anybody who does any kind of public work. It's nice to have people in your corner encouraging you.
0: I I am curious about how you carry the weight of the stuff that you have to write about or that you choose to write about. You don't have to, but like, it it seems like, um, you just, there's a, you're, you're helping people through really somewhat dark places. Mm -hmm. How does that, uh, how do you, how do you keep yourself from being, you know, um, overburdened with that? What's the, what's the, the pro the process for you like to stay, um, healthy and, and joyful?
1: Well, sometimes I, I am just going to be heavy and I think that's just the nature of the work that I do. Um, but boundaries have been really helpful. It's not so much the stuff that I've been writing, when I write about myself and the things that I've gone through, those things are really difficult for me to get out of. So sometimes I'll stop writing and go take a nap or I'll play music or I'll watch a show or something that's going to kind of get me out of that space. Um, but the things that make me feel heaviest in the relational aspect of what I do are the messages that I get from people who don't have anybody else who will listen to them or um, – hmm feel like they don't have anybody who will listen to them and that they can be honest with because the things that they are thinking and feeling about faith, about God, about their situation are are not pretty and they're not um, theologically confident. And so those things can make me feel heavy because I can't help them as much as I would like to from a distance because I don't know them and I'm not their pastor. I'm not their counselor. And I I feel like incapable sometimes and those things feel really heavy so creating boundaries online with the messages that i can respond to and how many i respond to and mm. how often i will talk about the things that i talk about anytime i talk about something heavy online it's very rarely something that happens in the moment i've thought about it and i've prepared myself emotionally for what it's probably going to feel like to put it out in the world and the anxiety of like how are people going to receive this and preparing myself for what the comment sections are going to be or what the DMs are going to be, if people are get sure. mad. So over the years, I've kind of learned how to protect myself and then how to recognize that I need to pull back. And then I go into my, okay, I gotta watch a show. Got to go for a walk. Let's go get Chick-fil-A. <laughs> that just kind of like pulls me out of it.
0: Hey, guys, just pausing this conversation with Kristen to remind you to set and save the date for the Spirit and Truth Conference. The Spirit and Truth Conference is hosted here in Dayton, Ohio, March 9th through 11th, um, and it is going to be a fresh breath of life and the Holy Spirit. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I'll be there. Matt Reynolds will be there, Maggie Ulmer, Emma Winchester, the whole Spirit and Truth team, plus some incredible speakers like Kim Moss Marion Hayes. It's just going to be a powerhouse group of people who want to help you move closer to Jesus. And because you're part of the podcast family, we have a a code for you. That's right. If you want to save some cash on your registration, go to the uh, spiritandtruth.life slash conference. Sign up. And as you check out, put in the word podcast to save $30 off your registration. Podcast to save $30 off your registration. It's a great deal. It's not that expensive. I want to see you there. So uh, let me know that you're coming. Tweet me. Find me on Instagram at TWMelt. Now let's finish up this conversation with Kristen. I think that's really wise. Uh, Let's talk about this latest resource. It's an Advent Reflections for Hearts in Crisis. And I want to get into all the details about it. Um, but first, I thought maybe it would be wise that if we define what Advent is for maybe somebody who's listening who doesn't uh, come from a liturgical background. I grew up Catholic and then went Methodist, so for me, Advent's a, a way of life, and I love it, but uh, could you kind of give us a, a background on-, on what Advent is and why we need it, or do we need it? Sure.
1: I mean, you'd probably have better language than I do, because I didn't grow up in a liturgical background, and I didn't know what Advent was until I was in my late twenties and I got out of the denomination that I was in that didn't honor Advent except like let's out light the Advent wreath, but it was never like a mm. liturgical thing. Um and it was only I, I'd had a miscarriage in 2019 and a friend had told me about Advent. And that's when it became more of a important thing to me and something that I'm still learning to incorporate in my life. This is actually the first year that we're gonna go through the Advent with our kids. We haven't done that before, but Advent is a part of the liturgical church calendar. And it lasts from, well, you can correct me if I'm I'm wrong with the Sunday after Thanksgiving until the Sunday before Christmas or after Christmas. Um, It's 25 days or something like that. And it's Advent means coming, and it's preparing your heart for the coming of Christ. So I think different churches do it different ways, and some people do reflections, some people do prayers, some people have Advent programs that they're a part of, but it's just a way to prepare your heart for the coming of Christ.
0: Yeah, I always say that the liturgical calendar is designed to be a tool in discipleship to help us for seasons of life, and acknowledging that sometimes we don't often... um, that without some intentionality, we don't go into those seasons very well. So Advent is really a, you know, like you said, it's a tool to help us go into that season. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, You you start off the devotional being very vulnerable about that loss in 2019. Um, And you mentioned in there that Christmas is one of your favorite holidays and still is, Mm -hmm. uh, but... There's also a ton of grief. Yeah. How, how do you hold the grief and the joy um, intention together?
1: I think that's the um, the general juxtaposition of life with Christ is that we get to hold the grief and joy yeah. together and we can grieve for what we've lost here while hoping that we will have it restored to us in heaven. And that's, I think the coming of Christ at Christmas is such a beautiful reminder and i talk about this in the Ad, in the advent book too that he's come but he's also coming so we have the hope that he's come he came as messiah but he's also coming again and he's going to restore and repair what we lost and what the the brokenness of the world has brought into our lives and i think being able to be okay with holding those not in separate hands but in the same hands together and flow freely from grief and joy We don't have to compartmentalize our emotions. We can hold them both in the same hands and feel them at the same time (laughs) sometimes.
0: (laughs) You were not working on this project. This project was not on your radar. Uh, You were working on a book Mm -hmm. and you felt a nudge. Uh, How how did you know it was like from God? Like, hey, I need to get this out into the world. Pause everything else I'm doing so I could crank out this 80 some odd page advent (laughs) devotional real quick
1: well it's so funny an angel came and stood in my room I'm just kidding <laughs> that would have been amazing uh, no it was just it was an idea that I had and I it was just gnawing at me and usually when something's gnawing at me I will start working on it and if I get bored I just stop and <laughs> say, okay this is just a distraction but I just fell into it and couldn't stop writing and I wrote the whole thing in maybe Three weeks, which is pretty, wow. pretty fast to write something like this, because I also did a historical, a lot of historical research on it, and incorporated a lot of—I um, well, mean, not a lot, but like a few creative elements in the writing of it, which is not something that I've done before. But it felt good, and it felt right, and it's out in the world now. I—I I never got a word from the Lord about it, but I got a an nudge, and I followed the nudge. So hopefully. Hopefully, I didn't do anything that God was like. I told you not to do that. I did not write this on the wall. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: one of the things I love about it is at the beginning of each chapter, you um, give a narrative of Scripture in your own words. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about that process. Uh, I, 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 it's actually it's one of my favorite parts of the whole thing. Thank just you. so you know. Um, Mine too. Tell. Tell us about that process.
1: That's kind of giving you an inside look of how I read and process scripture now is I have so much knowledge in my brain and research in my brain from all the different projects that I've worked on that when I read scripture now, I kind of retell it to myself with the things that I've learned. And I try to picture where the people are and and, um, how long did the journey take for Mary to go from where she was to Elizabeth's house. I like to have that. I don't know if it's nerdy of me, but I like to have the the visuals and the timelines. I want to understand what they saw, what they smelled, how they felt because it makes me feel more connected to the story. Um, so that's really just how I tell the story in my head or how I'll tell the stories to my kids when we're like talking about different scriptures and different um narratives of the Bible, I retell it. And I try to pull in elements of the Hebrew storytelling and, you know, I try to make it as dorky as possible because that's, I'm just, I'm creative. And so I have to, (laughs) creative people have to create. And I had to be really, I was nervous to do that because I know some people are very protective over scripture only being scripture. And so I, I made sure at the beginning, I said, this isn't supposed to be like a literal translation. This is just like a creative interpretation to help you feel the story more.
0: Yeah, no, I thought it was very tastefully done. And you you allude to scripture at the end of every chapter too. You tell us what to read from the actual Bible. Right. So you're not making any, there's no assumptions here. Like, hey, this isn't the Bible. Right. You, know, you should go read scripture. Yeah. Uh, I, I did have a question for you because I, uh, the Hebrew word for Messiah you talk about in here. Could you just say it for me so that I could get it right in my head?
1: I can't say it. I tried. Dang it. I, I know. was really
0: hoping. You
1: but you can like you can google it and it will like say it to you. If, like how do you say I, I, I don't even want it cuz they have like the you know like the
0: It's like a ha masha. Yeah. Right? Uh, you guys. Yeah. It, it's spelled H A hyphen M A S H I A C H. Yes. For those for those who are listening, I, and I probably said that too fast, and you, you're not going to understand <laughs> anyway. But if you buy a copy of the book, you'll see it. It's it's right it's right out the gate. Mm-hmm. You use that Hebrew word for ma- Messiah, and I was reading it, and I was thinking to myself, I have no idea how to say this word.
1: Yeah, Me either. I mean, I've heard it. I can hear it in my head, but I can't. I can't vocalize it.
0: So w- one of the things that. Uh, I got the sense as I was looking through the writing is that you had someone in mind when you wrote it.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: could you tell me about that process and and who that was? Like, who is this? Who's this for?
1: I was, I always, that's interesting. You said that because I always have somebody in mind that I'm thinking of or, or a characterization of somebody. And I was thinking of people who are carrying so much hurt that they're not even sure they believe the story anymore. And I tried oh. to write towards them for towards people who aren't sure they believe that Jesus ever came, and they aren't sure that it was a good thing that he came, or that he's capable of good. Um, and I I tried to hold the balance of people who aren't sure that they even believe the story, with respecting the liturgical and orthodox nature of Advent and what Advent is, which was really <laughs> which was really hard to do because you're thinking of people who don't aren't sure they believe the story. You're not sure how much language they're going to be comfortable with, how much Christian language they're going to be comfortable with. So I tried to to toe the balance between these creative elements, honoring the the orthodox nature of Advent and thinking about people who aren't sure if they believe it anymore.
0: And then you added an extra part, which I uh, will admit that I haven't dove into yet, but it's a Spotify playlist. Yeah. Tell me about that process. Cause you I mean you've got artists from all over from Shane and Shane to King and Country. Like you've kind of yeah. like you, you've kind of gone the gamut. They're all Christmassy songs, yeah. right? Like it's super intentional. What what have first of all, have you ever done anything like this before? And what was it like? What was it like to access that part of your brain?
1: That again, that's just the way that I write and the way that I study. Anytime I write something. Just assume that I have a playlist that I've been listening to and feeling inspired by. This is just the first time that I've incorporated a playlist into my writing, but it, it was so much fun to try to like find these songs that are not traditionally sung in church or maybe you wouldn't even know that these songs existed. Like, There's a song on there called Simeon's Song that's from Simeon's perspective of um, when he was in the temple and he saw Jesus walk in with his parents and he was like, okay, God, you can take me now. You fulfilled your promise to me. I've seen the Messiah. There's a whole song about that. And that's not something that is really common. At least I've never heard songs like that. So I wanted to, to pull those pieces in to help kind of complete the creative experience of reading these stories in a creative way and pulling things out of you through the reflection questions and then having a song to sit back. And listen and kind of internalize what that reflection is about through music. Of course, people don't have to listen to the music. Some people don't like listening to music, and that's fine. But I think it kind of completes the experience of each reflection. Mm-hmm.
0: I um I ordered the hard copy, and I'm waiting for it to get here before I access the playlist. So you you also you designed the cover yourself as it. well. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. And formatted I, I, so you based
0: book. you formatted the whole. You <laughs> did all of this yourself. What was yeah. that? Uh, Was it, was this just become like a labor of love? Does Zach think you're crazy? Like what, what? Yeah.
1: Yeah. All of those things. I hate the, I don't (laughs) mind the designing process. I hate the formatting process because that takes the longest amount of time and I never get it perfect. So there's always going to be a spelling error. There's always going to be like some weird formatting thing or double page numbers because you look at it so many times that you start to, things start to become invisible. So this was like, That was a headache to do, but but I wanted I wanted it to be physical because I feel like the experience is best if you can hold it in your book and you can journal in the pages and in the margin. Mm -hmm. So it was a labor of love indeed, and I hope people do love it.
0: (laughs) How how did you decide what quotes to put on the because on the on the pages right on certain pages there are are kind of called out quotes or Mm -hmm. lines. How did you decide what? Is Was that spirit-led, or was this like, a, this is what's <laughs> got to go out there, or both?
1: Pulling out all of the self-serving <laughs> aspects of <laughs> my book. <laughs> all of those are things that as I was reading them back over, I thought, oh, that's good. That's a good, that's a profound thing that I said there. That's making the call-out page.
0: <laughs> I Listen, I really enjoy the creative process. So if no one else is enjoying this interview, I'm loving it. So.
1: Well, there you go. Secrets out. Actually, when in the process of, of writing the book that I'm writing, my editor mentioned call outs, which that's what they're called. It's call is call outs. And she's like, you know, as you're writing, if you find anything that you think would be call outs, you know, just set them aside. And as I'm doing that, I'm like, man, this is so self-serving. Be like, wow, this thing that I wrote is so great. It deserves to be called out. But that's how it goes. I guess. But,
0: but sometimes you know that that's from God, right? Like that's yeah. from God alone. Yeah. Like you didn't do that on your own. Yeah. Uh, so like, I, I don't know. I, God has clearly given you a gift with words. If you don't, if, if you don't acknowledge that it's a gift, then that feels almost selfish to me. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, as you, as, as this book now, uh, we're at, as this podcast released, we're a week away from Advent, there's still going to be time for people to order it. Mm-hmm. W- what's your prayer, um, for the people who read this book, as you think about the, um, the, The families who are going to kind of circle around this, or the individuals who are going to kind of carry this into their hearts. What's the prayer that we can pray with you for this piece of literature?
1: I just want people who are hurting to feel like they have a place in the story, and that they're seen, and they're heard, and they're held by by the family of God and by Christ Himself. Because I think. Christmas is just can be such a heavy time and such a sad time for people who are carrying heavy things. And I come from, from the privilege of having a lot of people in my life that I can lean Mm. on and that won't let me be alone. Even if I wanted to be alone for a long period of time, they're going to interrupt my day with a text message or a call or something like that. But I've learned in the last couple of years that there are a lot of people who don't have that at all. And Christmas can feel especially lonely and especially heavy. Um, and some people have, have people in their lives that just don't care about them in that way or care for them in that way. And so I hope that they can see elements of themselves and elements of the story and feel like, well, if Jesus cared about that part of that person's story, he probably cares about my story as well.
0: Amen. Amen. I think, uh, I think our, our podcast family here will stand alongside you and pray that because I think it's... It's important. A lot of people can get lost in Christmas. Yeah. Um, and it's good. It's good for us to to remind them that there's a place for them here. So, yeah. um, can you tease the manuscript that you're working on? Are you allowed to talk about it at oh, all? Oh, I don't
1: know. I could tell you that I finished it. <gasps>
0: Well, can you tell us kind of just overarching what's it about? You don't have to give yeah, away any details well, or
1: anything. It's a, a few different elements of the terrible things that I've <laughs> gone through and what I've learned about suffering and how our theology of suffering, what our theology of suffering is when we enter suffer- suffering really affects the way that we experience it and the way that our faith is shaped throughout it. So it's many elements of the story of what happened with our girls, things that I haven't really talked about before. Um, But around the theme of suffering and what that means in our lives, so you know, super light fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, l- listen, I subscribe to your sub stack as well, so I know that uh, I know that you've been processing a lot of that. You can kind of sense, yeah, uh, like just some of your theology as you're kind of figuring it all out mm-hmm. in the sub stack as well, so yeah. Um, I, now I know my listeners are going to want to make sure that they don't miss when that book is going to drop. So where's the, where's the best place online to learn all things, Kristen?
1: Uh, my Instagram is where I post everything. Um, eventually the Substack sometimes gets it first, but Instagram is the more public and easily accessible thing.
0: And they can pick up their order of, uh, the advent devotional at kristenlavalley.com
1: there's a PDF version, and then you can order a physical copy.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Um, okay, last question I always love to ask people. It's an advice question where you go back and give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to name the season of life that you're in. Okay.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: um, and I want to take you back to uh, in 2019 when um, – when you found out you were expecting, Mm -hmm. Uh, before that journey took a lot of twists and turns and in the midst of a lot of really weird, it seems like a really weird life circumstance. If you could go back to that younger version of Christian, which isn't really that long ago, but feels like a lifetime ago, I'm sure, Uh, if you could pull up a chair and sit knee to knee with her, look her in the eyes, what's the one thing you're telling that young woman?
1: Another super light question to wrap up mm-hmm. my guest. I think I would just tell her to to feel it all and to not feel like I I need to protect everybody else from feeling what I'm feeling and to just let if people want to love me through empathy and feeling what I'm feeling to let them love me and not feel like I have to be like oh it's okay you don't have to be sad they can be sad and it's a beautiful thing for people to be sad together.
0: Amen. Amen. Kristen, thank you so much for uh, for your willingness to come back on and for all the writing and just uh, for your voice in our community. Thank you. I just really enjoy her voice for the church. I think Kristen is one of those leaders that we need to pay attention to, and she represents an entire generation of people. So hope you enjoyed it. If you did, do me a favor, share this episode with a friend, maybe somebody who you know, uh needs a little intentional nudge this Advent season, go pick up a copy of Kristen's book. Let her know that you heard her here on the podcast. Uh, I deeply appreciate it. Guys, I'm super thankful for you. I hope you have a wonderful, family-rich Thanksgiving. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.